0: Hi, this is Nelson Piles from Society 13 and the creator of the Wicked Library. Dan Foydick, the current host and producer of the Wicked Library, has started a Patreon campaign with a lot of great perks for those of you who want to keep the show alive, and most of all, free. It's an expensive endeavor to keep a podcast like the Wicked Library up and running. Website costs, equipment, storage for all the episodes. It takes a lot of money to keep a show like this free for all of you. And besides that... Think of the librarian. Yeah, the poor soul. Imagine if he had to go get a job somewhere else. Hey, new guy!
1: Come here, we gotta complain! Hello, kid. Uh, I mean, Steve. This guy ordered chicken fingers. What the hell are these? Oh, chicken fingers. I thought you said children's fingers. I always have a few of those on hand. Get it? (laughs) Aw, you're fired. Oh, oh well. Guess it's back to the DMV. (laughs) And stop laughing like that. It's spooky.
0: Promise? So, if you want to help your favorite podcast, and especially to keep the librarian off the streets, go to www.patreon.com backslash wickedlibrary, and thank you for your
2: support.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, welcome. Nah. Hello, kiddies. Welcome to season seven. <laughs> Did you <laughs> society13 podcast network redefining podcasts society-13.com i
3: like to listen how many choices do you make in a day
1: In a year. In a lifetime. How many really matter in the end? Do you agonize over
3: the small ones and avoid the important ones? Here on my lift, in this place where all things are possible, your choice matters. Your choices require sacrifice.
1: Will you make the right one?
3: Choose to listen to The Lift in iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now iHeartRadio.
1: Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live.
0: Hi, this is Nelson Piles from the Society 13 Podcast Network. The show you're about to listen to contains... Wait, hey, what... Bye, what are you bye, doing bye. Here? Get out! Get... Ah, ah! Well,
1: certainly won't have to listen to that anymore, kiddies. This is your librarian. The Wicked Library is intended for mature audiences only. If you're what NPR calls a sensitive listener, do yourself a favor and stop... Listening now. For the rest of you sickos, come on in. It's always story time at the Wicked Library. (laughs) Clean up that corpse, will you please? Kiddies, have a seat and relax. I am your librarian. There's nothing to be afraid of, yet. Hold on to yourselves, morals and Rules. This is going to be a dark ride. We'll leave the lights on for now. No talking. It's story time at the Wicked Library. <laughs>
4: Was my basement bear. He kept the monsters in the shadows with his obsidian button eyes and kept the rest of the room shining with his ivory smile. He kept my playtime safe and my sleep nightmare free. As I grew older, as long as Barry was by my side, nothing ever seemed to really go wrong. Some people might find it strange that a 15 year old boy. Still carries a stuffed animal around with him nearly everywhere. But Barry has always been there for me. He's always kept me safe. Don't get me wrong. I really do know that it's abnormal for any guy that's my age to still have a teddy bear, let alone always have it around them. When I have him with me at school, he's in my backpack. Sometimes, when I can tell that he feels really secure, I can even keep him in my locker. But keeping him at home is never an option. It'd be social suicide at the very least if all my friends, let alone the rest of the school, knew I had a stuffed bear in my backpack. Sacrifices have to be made, though. Barry is my friend.
2: I know what happens when he's not around, and it's never good. Being made fun of by all my classmates is terrifying. What happens when I don't have Barry is far worse. I've found that while my mother was
4: always accepting of my want to keep Barry around, my dad was just livid at the thought of his son keeping a stuffed animal around. Maybe it was because he grew up in a military family. Maybe it was because he ended up as a police officer. Maybe it was because he just wasn't a caring man.
2: I don't know. What I did know is that it started slowly at first. He wouldn't let me bring him to
4: the table for dinner. He wouldn't let me bring him when we went out on errands or to get my hair cut He did whatever he could to keep Barry and me apart. He honestly just didn't like Barry, or the thought of it, as he would say. It was too childish. It was too immature. Without my mother's interference,
2: Barry would have found his way into the trash can. Or worse, if my father had any say in it. Nothing really went
4: wrong with my life until the day we went on a vacation where I was forced to leave Barry behind. My father just wouldn't have any of it and decided
2: it was time for me to start acting my age. Immediately upon leaving, things went wrong.
4: I felt carsick for the entire ride out to the beach cabin that we were going to stay in for a week. I have never been carsick before. When we arrived, my parents had me go for a walk to explore and immediately started fighting with each other. I sat around the side of the house, listening to them argue about me for an hour and stayed out for another after they had gone silent. My mother looked sick while we all ate dinner in silence and everyone turned in early after the long drive in. I was up all night, tossing
2: and turning from nightmares and not able to sleep. That's the night that my mother passed away in her sleep.
4: That's the night that everything started to change. After her death, my father was withdrawn. Though, it wasn't long before he started to try to move on by focusing on my life. Without her keeping him calm, and ended up with Dad becoming even harder on me. One afternoon, he sat me down and told me I had to start growing up and learn to be a real man. There was no more time for nonsense in my life, no time for make-believe friends when there were plenty of real friends my own age to have. It's not like I didn't already hang out with my friends. He just wanted me to get rid of Barry.
2: He wanted me to quit playing with my toys and start playing sports. I honestly did try to hang out with my friends as much as I could, even before he said anything. It's just that
4: I wasn't out with my friends enough when my dad wanted to be home alone, drinking. When he wasn't at
2: work, now that my mother was gone, that's all he did. Is that what he wants me to do? Is that what being a man was? Drowning my
4: sorrows in the bottom of a bottle? When I was finally sick enough of his harassment, I asked him that, and he yelled at me to go to my room and leave the damn bear behind. He'd deal with me and it later. And I paused for a minute, thinking I could sneak back in and get Barry.
2: If I could grab him before my father had enough to drink, he might even forget the bear was there. I thought that I had a chance. At least I did until he started to yell. First, he was yelling about me, then he was yelling at the bear. Then it got
4: quiet. I decided I didn't want to be outside of his room if he walked out now and silently scrambled back to my bedroom, wondering what was going to happen next. It wasn't long until I heard the door to his study noisily open,
2: followed by his feet stomping down the hall with purpose. He came to my door and stopped, not saying anything. The hair on my arms were standing on end, and I tried as hard
4: as I could not to make a sound. He stood there silently for a few minutes
2: until he stomped to just outside his room. I exhaled, not even knowing I had been holding my breath. I could hear him open the attic and slowly drag down the steps
4: leading to its darkened interior. They creaked as his weight was applied to each
2: step and shortly after he went up he came back down. I could hear him raise the steps back up and he walked back to his study in a much more subdued manner. He called me down to dinner
4: an hour later and said the bear was gone and that's all there was to it. He was sick of me staying in not playing sports and instead playing with a damn bear. From now on Things were going to change, and I was going to have
2: to shape up or else. He wouldn't enlighten me on what the or else was, and I was too afraid to ask. I went to bed that night, and for the first time in years, I wasn't able to sleep. I couldn't close my eyes without feeling something in the room with me. Someone, no, something was waiting for me to fall asleep. I felt that
4: it wanted me to be completely defenseless. Every time exhaustion would overtake me, I would wake up screaming or sweating or
2: unable to breathe. I had never been so terrified in my life. Finally, the sun peeked through the cracks in my blinds
4: and I just got up, barely able to stand. I was so tired.
2: I wasn't going to stay at home, though, and face my father's anger. I got ready for the day. I went to school without Barry for the first time in my entire life. Half asleep and knowing he wasn't there keeping me safe, the day was a train wreck. I'm not the most popular kid in school, but I have friends. And I generally get along with everyone. Or, at least, I thought I did. Within 30 seconds of walking into the building, I was tripped and
4: glared at by a group of kids that had always ignored me in the past. On the way to get my books, I was pushed against a locker by another group. Opening my locker turned into an avalanche of books that ended up with me getting a black eye. As the day went on, I was called on in every class right when there was a question I didn't know. I had forgotten my lunch when rushing out in the morning half asleep, and to top it off, I had no money to buy anything. Nothing was going right. And as the last bell rang, I ran to make my bus and was held back for running in the halls. It's a two-hour walk to my house. And that's what I ended up having to do since I missed the bus while earning myself that wonderful detention. Bonus points for my life turning to hell as it started to downpour halfway home. The only good thing about the day is
2: that it was Friday. I would have two days off before I'd have to go through that again. Two days of dealing with my sure-to-be-drunken father was going to make for a great end to the week. Tired, wet, and cold, I walked into the front door
4: of my house. My dad was already passed out on the couch, and that was the first good thing to happen all day. I just knew that if Barry was actually in the attic, I had to get him back. It had only been a day without him, and my entire life was turning to hell. I couldn't go on like this. I knew... He had to be what was keeping me
2: safe all this time. There was no other explanation. Barry was keeping my life in order, and I had to get him back. I quietly closed the door to his study. could still hear his snores from the other side. This had to work. I hurried upstairs without making a sound and tried to quietly bring down the
4: stairs to the attic. The door creaked when I pulled it open, and the stairs squealed being pulled down and seemed to slam down
2: in the silence of the house. I stopped, holding my breath, but he hadn't awakened. I slowly crept up the stairs, painfully aware of each creak as my foot would come down. I would take a step, pause, take a step and pause. It felt like hours. But within minutes,
4: I was near the top, and as my head breached the opening above me, I realized I could barely see a thing. There isn't a light in our attic, and I had no idea how I could find Barry without being able to see.
2: It came to me in an instant, though. Barry was near me. He wanted to be with me, as much as I wanted him.
4: All I had to do was close my eyes and he would tell me where to
2: find him. I had to find him. I didn't just want to find Barry. I needed to find him. And I knew that deep down, he needed me. I reached into the darkness, oblivious to the sounds I was making now and Concentrating completely on Barry, he was there. He had to be. My dad wouldn't just have thrown him out. He came up here for a reason, and it had to be to hide Barry. I stumbled in the dark and tripped. Tripped? How could I trip when I had to be so close to him?
4: I went to push myself up, and my right hand brushed against something that was covered in fur.
2: Something that moved beneath my hand. Barry? There was no response, but whatever was in my hand had stopped moving. I grabbed onto the fur and slowly back toward the stairs. As
4: he entered the light, I swear Barry was smiling more than usual, and his eyes flashed. Everything was going to be all right again.
2: I just had to make sure no one found him again. I sealed the attic back up and slipped back into my bedroom. The next day, I snuck
4: Barry into the bottom of my bag. My dad was still passed out, so I made sure to grab my lunch and made the bus on time. At school, everything was right again. None of the bullies paid me any mind. Classes went well. I knew the answers to the few questions that I was asked by my teachers. Everything was perfect. When I finally walked back home, I had a smile plastered on my face. Not even my dad being home early could spoil the mood I was in. Barry was back and everything was going to be okay again. When I opened the door, it took all of three seconds before I was lifted off the ground and shoved against the wall. I could smell the stench of alcohol in his breath.
2: Where is it? He yelled
4: spit flying against my face. Where's your goddamn bear? I couldn't move. I couldn't respond. I couldn't even think. I was petrified. The man before me was no longer my father. He was pure anger. Pure rage. He had become a monster. Answer me, boy! He yelled, slamming his fist into the wall next to my head. "'I know your bear isn't in the attic. "'I was going to get rid of it today. "'What did you do with it?' "'He's in my bag,' I stammered. "'Please!' "'I couldn't speak as he ripped the bag off my back "'and dropped me to the floor. "'He emptied it by throwing my books onto the floor "'and ripped the bear from where I had it hidden "'in the bottom of my backpack. "'He stood there. "'He was shaking in fury.' staring at the bear. He slowly turned to me. "'Give him back,' I whispered. He kept glaring at me until he laughed. "'You're finally growing a backbone, and it's over a stuffed animal? The bear is going in the trash, and if I see you try to take him out, if he shows up in this house again, you're going to wish you were never born, son.' And after that, I'll ship you off to military school where they know how to really deal with delinquents like you who can't grow up. The way he said it, I knew his decision was already made. This was just an excuse. Everything was going to be an excuse until he shipped me off. It was only a matter of time before he found a way to get rid of me. I ran to my room and slammed the door behind me.
2: When my father called me down to dinner, I didn't answer. I was too sick to eat. From my bedroom window, I could see the trash can where Barry had been thrown out. He was one story down and 20 feet away, and I couldn't do anything to get to him. might as well have been on the other side of the world. That night, sleep came to me quickly. Unlike the last time Barry was away, I didn't have nightmares.
4: Just a single dream of Barry holding me the way I always held him. He couldn't talk, but let me know that everything was going to be all right. And we'd be together forever. I had saved him, and now he would save me. When the morning came, I woke up to my alarm. Tears again on my face. Barry was gone. There wasn't anything I could do about it. As I opened my eyes and started to get up, I saw that Barry was at the foot of my bed. Could my dad have changed his mind? Did he feel bad about what he had said and put him back to apologize? Maybe everything at home would be okay after all. I got dressed and ran downstairs with Barry to thank my dad but he wasn't at the breakfast table or in his den ran back upstairs to his bedroom and he wasn't there either maybe he'd gone to work early that day I made a quick breakfast and walked out the door outside I saw my dad's car in the driveway I never saw him again no one did. Everyone else at the station knew he had been drinking, so it took a couple of days for any real investigation to occur, and it looked like he had just ran out on me without a word. After a few months of no body, no money drawn from his accounts, and no charges to his credit cards, he was declared dead. As it was a small town, I had already been staying with an officer who had a family, but... Now that he was officially declared as gone, they had to call child services. It didn't take me long to get put with a new family who had two children already. They didn't seem to want me there, but had taken me anyway. It wasn't long before the new foster parents decided they didn't like the idea of a 15-year-old with a stuffed bear either. It wouldn't be long now. I know what will happen if anyone tries to take Barry from me. They've already casually started to say that maybe it was time for me to get rid of the stuffed animal. I know it'll be okay, though. When I go to bed, Barry has a glint in his obsidian eyes and a smile on his face. When I'm dreaming, he's holding me and making sure I know that everything is going to be alright. It will be, too. Even if that means soon, I'll have another new set of parents... Thanks for tuning in for today's episode of The Wicked Library. Stay tuned for a short interview with the author after these brief credits. The Wicked Library is created and shared for free, but there are costs involved in its production. The Wicked Library now has a Patreon account. Head on over to thewickedlibrary.com for more details and to support the show you love. We really do count on your support in order to make the show possible. The Wicked Library is sponsored by The Legends, Myths & Whiskey Podcast Brought to you by a team of storytellers and whiskey lovers They bring culture to life through storytelling every week You can find them over at legendsmythsandwhiskey.com You can, of course, also find them in iTunes Or your favorite podcatcher They also have a production of Beowulf Fully scored with music by Someone those who are fans of the Wicked Library would be familiar with Nico Vitese. Find links in the show notes or head on over to legendsmythsandwhiskey.com to find out more. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production. Ninthstory.com All audio recorded in-house at Ninth Story Studios is recorded on Rode Microphones. Find out more information about the great products over at Rode.com That's R-O-D-E dot com And big thanks to Rode for helping us make this show possible complete show notes including credits for music, art, story and narration can be found at thewickedlibrary.com by clicking on the appropriate episode number you can also find a link to our twitter account our facebook page and a link to rate and review the show in iTunes, reviews mean a lot to us please let us know what you think of the show and now our interview with the author Today we have Stuart Conover, who is the author for today's episode of The Wicked Library, which is the season premiere for season seven. I don't know. Who'd you pay off to get that one, huh? Uh,
3: You know, uh, it took a lot of uh, bribery and (laughs) uh, booze being sent in the mail, but we managed to make it happen. Right, right.
4: No, actually, it was was our great honor to have you on. We've talked and corresponded quite a bit over the years. You do a lot for the community with Horatree, and I just thought it would be great to have you on the show and feature one of your stories. And you came through with Barry the basement bear. Uh, You sent me two great stories actually. And I had to kind of pick between the two, which is always a good problem to have. Just like it's anybody. better
3: than reading them over and uh, <laughs> regretting your decision. Me out, so. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we get
4: a lot of submissions to the show, and it's, it's difficult because sometimes you get something that you really love and you really want to do, and for whatever reason, maybe it's because I've only do 24 episodes a season and I've run out of slots, or it's just not the right tone for the... I mean, it's a great story, but it's not the right tone for what I'm trying to do with the show, or sometimes they're just Bloody awful. Uh, but thank you so much for sending me one of the good ones.
3: Oh No, I, I appreciate uh, the invitation, and I'm, I'm glad you liked what I sent in. So works out.
4: Yeah, it was a lot of fun to do. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about kind of not, not the question that everybody dreads, which is where'd you get the idea for the story, but just kind of uh, some of what you put into the story and kind of the process of writing it and creating it, maybe some of the struggles that you had and some of the things that came easy. What was it like for you to sit down and actually birth this story?
3: Uh, well, this one was a couple of years back, but it was shortly after my first son was born. So at the time, instantly, anything with kids, it, it, not a baby in the story, mm-hmm. which at the time my first son was, but anything with kids suddenly creeped me out a lot more than it used to be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, as a horror writer, you instantly go to the the worst thing that can happen in any scenario. And when right. you have a kid in your life, that's suddenly a hell of a lot more frightening than it you ever thought it would be. Right. So I went, what could I do child related that wouldn't be over the top? So mm-hmm. came up with a stuffed animal with a little bit of a supernatural element to it.
4: Right. As adults, we all look back to being kids. And a lot of us had a favorite toy or a favorite stuffed animal or, or something that to us took on a personality and a life of its own. And here's a story about a young man who has a bear that has a personality and it's not his imagination. This bear actually does have that personality. So I thought that was kind of neat. That's one of the first things that drew me to the story.
3: It was a fun little twist on the idea because everyone has, or most people had, you know, their, their favorite stuffed animal, their favorite toy. They took it everywhere. So what about one that in their imagination, when it protects you from the monsters that, are under your bed, it actually does.
4: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this one actually, it also plays with that idea of becoming an adult and growing up and passing from childhood into early adulthood and kind of the stigma that is attached to anybody that wants to hold on to their childhood. So there's another layer there that I found really interesting and intriguing.
3: As geek culture has become more prevalent, it's not as stigmatized as it once was because, I mean, Marvel comic movies are the number one box office successes right now. So to an extent, it's not as much as it was, but I mean, even so, it's... You don't see every adult going out and still buying toys for themselves, or
4: right? Yeah, it's a, along the, those. You look at the stuff that's. I mean, I I'm looking at my shelf, and I have you know an original Adats, and you know I have some action figures up there, and some stuff from Star Wars because I'm a big Star Wars geek. But those are what we call as adults collectibles. Um, exactly. But you don't see too many adults walking around with a stuffed bear. Or a teenager walking around with a stuffed is they can't really say, it's. oh, that's a collectible. Um, right. So, so I thought that was really neat that that's kind of what you picked to to focus on. How many drafts did, did this story take for you? Was it something that came pretty easy or is it something that you kind of had to really – because I know every tale is a little bit different.
3: You know, that one was surprisingly really quick. It did not have too many drafts. Uh, most of my work – I kind of plan out ahead of time and work off of it. This was one that I just, I kind of wrote straight through and I revised a couple times, but there wasn't a lot of, I I knew exactly where I wanted to go with it pretty Mm -hmm. much right off the bat. The characters developed themselves right away. Well, not too many characters in it, but they developed (laughs) themselves right away. I kind of knew the theme I wanted to go with and it really was pretty straightforward for me for not everything I write is that way but this one definitely was
4: it's it's always different yeah i mean i've had those stories where you you plot everything out and you plan it and and sometimes it's a struggle and you think it should be easy because you have all the the framework in place
3: but and then you get three-fourths of the way through and your characters decided, by the way, this is not going to be the ending that you right. wanted to write originally.
4: <laughs> right. Uh, which is kind of the fun sometimes, uh, you know, when they do something that you're not expecting them to do. But it is, it is a definitely a big part of the challenge. Um, but, yeah, I have found that in terms of short stories, when I know what the ending is, it's so much easier to write.
3: Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, you, you've got something to work towards. You've got limited space. Mm -hmm. and when you don't know where you want to go within it all of a sudden you keep developing and developing and that's suddenly (laughs) you're thinking maybe i want to go this way but now i'm going somewhere completely different with the story so
2: yeah
4: so for this story what came first for you was it the characters or was it the situation was it just the the plot of the story
3: uh it was a mixture i mean the characters and the plot kind of go hand in hand Mm -hmm. um but it was a mixture. I knew I wanted it to have the stuffed animal save the day for the kid, yeah. but do so in a way that would not really be, you know, the, the little bit of the horror aspect kind of going into it. Um, <clears throat> it's, and I wanted it to be, you know, like something that you would see innocently, a teddy bear, like mm-hmm. the epitome of the childhood. This is just a, something to hug and hold and be comfortable. Yeah. and, have it go completely out of the box on its own. Right. So,
4: Yeah. And whenever I talked to Steve Matiko, who's the artist uh, who did the the cover work for this one. Um, Which you know, I love,
3: by the
4: way. I'm glad you do. Usually for me, it's when I read the story, it's like kind of, what is it? Was there a particular scene? Is there something that kind of jumps out at me? And for me, obviously it's the smile and the bear. And whenever <laughs> Steve and I worked on it, I was like, what we need to do is I, I want the smile to be, It has to be slightly creepy, you know, it it has to be like at first glance, something's not quite right. And as you look at it longer, it's like, oh, that bear's smile doesn't look quite right.
3: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, it's this is a story. Actually, if I ever went back, I don't think I'm going to if I ever went back and turned this into a novella or something longer, (laughs) I would actually want to talk to Steve because that. But the The art was perfect for it. Like it was fit. Fa- I saw it. and I was like, "Wow, this is great. This is almost exactly what I saw in my head."
4: That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, Steve will be happy yeah. to hear that. You I mean the artists are always excited when they get a vision for something and it matches up with what the author had, and that's one of the coolest parts about putting the show together is working with the composers and working with the artists and working with the authors and kind of, you know, you get that new vision. And for season seven, I'm not going to be narrating every single story. I've actually enlisted the assistance of some other great narrators that I know. So each story is going to kind of have its own unique vibe to it.
3: Yeah, I have uh, a couple of anthologies I've had have been narrated before. So actually being able to hear that process of your story being read aloud by someone who narrates yeah. is pretty amazing because you get a lot of inflection either that you didn't mean for but fits really well or that was spot on and it's like wow that's exactly how i was saying it in my head and it's great so i'm definitely looking forward to it
4: so what techniques work best for you when you're working through a story and you're editing your drafts is there anything that you've learned in the the years of doing this that really works well for you
3: well my writing style has actually become pretty specific over the last couple years Uh um with the kids and whatnot i do the majority of my writing actually on the train? Oh I have wow! Forty-minute train ride in the morning, forty-minute train ride at night. So I take that time and I write for the entire that entire portion. Um, That's really editing's smart. a little different. Yeah, it's you know, it's 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 time. I just put my headphones in. I can zone everything out and just get work done. Um, for editing, anytime I write a story, as long as I have enough time, I like to finish writing it, give it at least two weeks before I try to edit it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I know notice personally, I have a huge problem. If I try to edit a story right away where I will mentally be reading it, how I meant to write it, even if I didn't write it that <laughs> yes. way.
4: I know exactly what so you're talking I'll, about.
3: I'll read Yeah. I'll read over a sentence. I'm like, Oh, this is what I meant. And that's how I'll read it. Even though the, the words are off. Right. So There's that. And then I use a combination. Obviously, you know, Microsoft Words Grammar Check. There's mm-hmm. a program called Grammarly that I love. Yeah, Grammarly actually has a great built-in feature that has changed my writing over the last year that tells you if you've overused a word too many times.
4: Oh, wow. That's cool.
3: And that's something I didn't realize I was always doing, and that has completely helped on that end of things.
4: Yeah, it's very easy to to get into that habit of, Falling in love with a certain turn of phrase or a certain word, um, and I think we all do it when we write. And 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 tools like that are great for helping you realize it because those words become so ingrained in your character and who you are. They, it's almost like the word said you don't see it whenever you're you're reading through it.
3: Exactly, and it's there, and it's a problem, and you you mentally know it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Or you you just, you know, you write it because you don't realize it. And this, you know, programs like that really help just to be like, hey, by the way, you've used this a hundred times in this 2,000-word thing that you worked on. Right. Maybe you want to cut it down a little. <laughs> That's right. It's a 1,000 of
4: the 2,000 words in your story, so you might want to <laughs> try something else, yeah.
3: Haven't been quite that bad yet, but uh, <laughs> close a couple times. right. <laughs>
4: Other than you know the headphones and, and the riding on the train, are there any other techniques you use to kind of get yourself into the writing mode? Or because you've been doing that for so long, is it just kind of automatic as soon as you put the headphones on and the train starts moving, you're, you're in that zone?
3: As long as I'm not exhausted in the morning, nine times out of ten, that's it. And then uh, I would say once a month, I'm fortunate enough where my wife has to work on a Saturday,
2: mm-hmm.
3: my kids are at the grandparents, and I have... Saturday from when I wake up till about 4 p.m., and I can do what I want. So, those Saturdays, I wake up, I walk the dog, I watch a horror movie or two episodes of Bates Motel because I'm not caught up yet since I <laughs> have kids and can't right. watch it anymore. And then uh, after that, I try to spend the entire day writing or editing or whatever I'm do- working on at that time. That's really cool. And again, though, that's it's music. Just you know, getting in my getting comfortable and in my zone and going from there.
4: That's awesome. So you do a lot of work to support the community. Talk a little bit about um, Horror Tree and some of the other things that you're involved in that uh, you know you've kind of done to give back to the community.
3: Uh, well, Horror Tree is is still a surprise to me. Uh, I actually started it for myself and two friends. Mm-hmm just to keep track of some of the open anthologies that were taking calls that we stumbled across. And it was easier to post them. At the time, it was easier to post them on the, the blog than in a Facebook group or anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So I was doing that, and I kept doing that. And then other people started sharing it with their friends. And it went up to, you know, from literally myself and two or three people to there are 30,000-plus unique views every month on it. That's awesome. Which was a complete surprise. So it's, you know, Monday through Friday, it's at least one open anthology that all of our anthologies we list have to pay at least a contributor's copy or copy or royalty payments, you know, something bare minimum, it has to pay something Mm -hmm. and it has to have a deadline because I don't know how many, I'm sure you've experienced it too. It's like, (laughs) yeah, we're open but we're not going to tell you when we're stopping taking anth- or taking uh submissions and then you write a great story and you go to submit it and they're closed. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's,
4: that's always yeah. frustrating.
3: So we try to have those two. Um, since then we've expanded uh, a lot of article writing on the weekends on, on writing, on editing, on, you know, if you have writer's block, any number of things, any topics pretty much open. We have a few stable contributors now, Carrie lip who's been on the show before um, mm-hmm. he was a contributor for a while, though. He's kind of taking a break from that and writing at the moment going to harass him a little bit. Cause he's been, he's just been slacking <laughs> 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 now. He's been enjoying real life yeah. you know, outside of, outside of writing. Good for him. Yeah. Um, so there's that, uh, I write for sciencefiction.com, So when I can, I push to do reviews or interviews with indie authors, kind of a stretch to push on their times but i'm i'm able to get it in and then i'm also the editor on the journal stone site so that's hellnotes.com Byzombie.com, horrorreviews.com and horrorworld.org so we do as much as we can on interviews and reviews and any news i can push out for authors obviously anything horror related but anything anytime i can help authors out on it i try to
4: that's really cool. Yeah, I mean I think that's why we get along because we have kind of a similar mission in, in terms of trying to help the newer writers find a way to find a bigger or and grow their audience, as well as, you know, what you do with trying to help those folks find some place where they can submit their stories and actually, you know, make some money at it and, and get some reward for actually putting all the time and effort into doing it.
3: Absolutely. I and mean, you know it's we used to list anything, you know, the the ones that didn't pay in contributor copies or any mm. type of copies, the exposure only markets. And over time, just from feedback from all the authors who visit the site, I just it we, we've always felt it should be writers should get paid for their work.
4: Yeah, you need to get you know? something of value out of it because there's too much time and too much effort that goes into it. And you know, that's one of the things that we've started to look at coming up into season seven and going into season eight, is there a way that we can expand what the wicked library does and, and start to, you know, reward the authors financially. But, uh, you know, Nelson and I have always kind of felt that, there's a lot of time and effort and love that goes into the composition of the music, the art, and to create an audio version of a story um, that, you know, the authors are getting something out of it. And so far, everybody agrees with us. So, you know, it's it's been a really cool thing to to work with those folks and to expose them to new fans in a way that's actually conducive of them actually selling the other work that they have out there.
3: Not every author gets the chance to have one of their… Novels, novellas, short stories turned into an audiobook.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So that experience alone is pretty cool. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um yeah, I've fortunately a couple of the uh the anthologies I've been have done that, so I've heard it before and it's it's always a thrill. I mean, yeah. you know. And it as you said, it does open up to a new market of readers. So yeah, also absolutely.
4: So, what advice do you have as someone that ha- does a lot of writing and, and does a lot of analysis of different markets that are out there? What advice do you have for newer writers who are still working to get published or are still growing their fan bases, looking for new ways to get their work out there?
3: Uh I, I could go on for quite a while about that one. Um, <laughs> a lot of it is, you know, you got to figure out as an author because, unfortunately. If you want to be able to make money off writing, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: unfortunately, you have to treat it like a business. Right. And no one wants to hear that, but you have to treat it like a business. You have to, you know, you've got to figure out what markets are going to help give you exposure and get paid for. Mm -hmm. You have to figure out for exposure, like which social media outlets are going to be the best. You have to have a plan for it. Mm -hmm. You can't just post randomly now and then. Um, You need to get your name out there. Because quite frankly, if people don't see your name out there, when they hit go to Amazon and they see eight hundred new books by authors, mm-hmm. why are they going to pick yours? <laughs> right. It's and it's brutal, but it's the truth. You know, you need if you're self-publishing, you need really good artwork that's not stock photos. You need something that will draw your name out. Yeah, you have to have people say, "I recognize that name," even if they don't know why. They have to recognize that name to really get drawn in these days. And that's just, there's, there's so many choices. It's so easy to self-publish. Mm-hmm. So easy to get, in, I, I it's easy to get into anthologies. Notice I just said anthologies though. Pain anthologies, totally different story. <laughs> right. You need to up your game. You know, you yeah. need to make sure you're editing your work. Even if it's going through, I, I've seen, I know so many editors who have said they receive a short story and Either a guideline wasn't paid attention to or it was just they didn't run the grammar check in yeah. Microsoft Word. You know, it's just something simple like there are fragments upon fragments <laughs> upon sentences with 12, you know, commas in it. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's, it's mistakes like that. They're like, this is a great story, but it, they clearly didn't edit it.
4: Right. Exactly. And,
3: and obviously, you know, in a good anthology will go through and edit your story, but you need to have it up to... At least a basic level. <laughs> right. You don't do
4: that. Yeah, you miss a word, you misspell something here or there, they'll fix it for you. But yeah, I mean if it's just a complete mess, it's not it's not I think a lot of people just kind of hear you deal with it and, and that's not the right approach. I mean we whenever uh, exactly. I whenever I got through season seven submissions for the, for the Wicked Library, I actually recruited two other folks that assisted me uh, to help out and go through all the stories because we got a ton of them in. Um, but you know, I mean, I, we pretty quickly established a guideline that if it's not in manuscript format, don't read it. It's not, I mean, because and and we put it in the links, you know, for the for the submission guidelines right there. It says it must be in manuscript format, and manuscript format is a link. If you click on it, you'll get manuscript format. So, exactly. and most
3: <laughs> most publishers do that now. They're yeah. they're very clear and like this is what we want. And most of them use standard guidelines like manuscript format. It's yeah. not they're asking for. I want everything in random like Comic Sans size thirteen. Yeah. I just want know, to know triple your triple spaced. Right. I
4: just <laughs> want to know your name. I want to know how to email you or get in touch with you, and I want to be able to read your document easily. Um, mm-hmm. and if you don't put it in a manuscript format, I don't know who you are because most of the time the original email, and this is something I should, I mean, most people should probably know if they don't, a lot of times your story gets separated from the original email because somebody else is working the slush pile, um, and going through and looking for a, the story that's going to jump out at them to narrow it down. And if you, if you don't have your email on your document, a lot of times it becomes very difficult And it takes a lot of time to go back through the old emails and go, okay, who actually sent this to me?
3: Exactly. And, you know, unless your name is, say, Stephen King or Clive Barker, (laughs) I don't think uh, that really cuts it these days.
4: (laughs) I mean, I do everything I possibly can to help out. But, you know, when we get a volume of submissions in, sometimes you just look and you're like, I got to get through these because I can't have people wait 90 days to hear back. Am I going to use my story? Uh, You going to use my story? Uh,
3: exactly, and and you know, once once a horror tree got popular, it's I've had a lot of publishers, especially smaller publishers, who've been like, you know, we really appreciate how many submissions we've gotten because of you. Yeah, uh, but a, a lot of publishers actually get the submission is to Stuart Conover because the person didn't read the guidelines saying, hey. <laughs> it's this publisher like we we state, i state three portions on the site that we do not publish these books yeah you know we're just a listing and people will still send it to to my name to the publisher's email i'm like oh i feel so bad (laughs) for some of these people
4: yeah so i mean it's it's uh it's not a you know a, a rant session but one of the things i hope that perspective writers and those that want to grow their audience get from these discussions at the end of the stories is kind of, you know, here are the things to keep in mind that are simple, that will make your chances of getting published better Um, as well as, you know, how do you, how do you write? What are some, uh, you know, some tips that I can use to make my writing better? Not very often I get to talk to someone like yourself that's so involved with helping people find a home for their story. So I thought, you know, these are some good questions to, to ask.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, we get countless emails these days from newer authors or even a couple times more experienced ones who say you used to have an agent and don't anymore or used to write short stories and haven't years. And they're, they, they're asking like, what's, uh, you know, simple questions. And it's like, well, I will gladly help you because, yeah. you know, it's. That's what we try to be there for.
4: It's it's a jungle out there. That's right. It's it's such, like you said earlier, the market is so saturated now with stories and writers and people that think that if I write a story on Tuesday, it's okay to sell it on Wednesday. Um, it's, it's really <laughs> oh, yeah, important yeah. To, to make sure you do your basic editing and, and just follow some basic guidelines to make your chances of getting published much, much greater.
3: Absolutely. Yeah.
4: So what do you have coming up and coming out uh, in the near future that people can be looking out for?
3: Well, uh, I had a decent amount of short stories come out last year, and so far this year, only three. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have six or seven in the works uh, that I'm just waiting to hear release dates on. Nothing in the next month or two, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of this last year, I actually spent finalizing, hopefully finalizing uh, my first novel. I think I'm down to... Taking a day off of work and finishing the current draft I'm on, going through one last round of beta readers, and I'm good to send it off to a publisher. So knock on wood, hopefully the first novel next year-ish. I've also spent a lot of time, I have three novellas almost done and another novel about half done. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: That's been a lot of my focus this last year, has been trying to move on from doing just short stories to something a little bit longer.
4: Yeah, and I think anytime you take on something new like that, uh, it it there is a a definite I don't want to say learning curve, but there's there's definitely a, a period where you go through adjusting to that new format. Like for me, I had always tried to write the longer forms, and you know I'd finish them here and there, but the, the thing that always I always struggled with was the short form. Um, and for me, it, it was always more difficult to write a short story than it was to write something novella or novel length. Um, but yeah, it's, it, there's always that changeover when you're working on something. So that would explain why you didn't have that many short stories this year, I guess. Right.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Saying it again. Uh, no, there's uh you know, I, I've had some actually about five or six acceptances. They're uh-huh. just, the anthologies are being released late this year or next year. But for the most part, I have not been writing a lot of short stories this year. It's yeah. been, a lot of working on the novels, novellas, some of them I've, I've had kind of been working on for the last year or two, just plotting them out. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I like to plot out instead of just write straight out. Right. So it's been evolving a lot of that. And then a lot of editing of the, the novel I technically finished last year mm-hmm. and then I took six months off of, and then I sent to one person to edit, uh, who does mil- a lot of, uh, military consulting. Okay. Um, there's military references in it and okay, I, I got make you. sure that was right. Yeah because let me tell you the number one complaint i see about reviews on anything military or military science fiction <laughs> if that's off they know oh yeah <laughs> the readers know and they will call you out on it left and right so i wanted to make sure i had that dead to rights completely you know locked down as much as possible mm-hmm. um got that back did another draft and then i've been as i said i have a solid day of editing to finish that up mm-hmm. which i just need to take a day off of work because it's it's not something i can fit in 40 minute spans and make actual <laughs> headway on right
4: you need undivided focus time for something like that i got it
3: exactly <clears throat> so yeah i mean aside from that it's been keeping up the website's horror tree keeping up my daily writing on science fiction to help pay the bills mm-hmm. and because I love everything science fiction, horror and comic book related. It's awesome. And um, yeah, keeping up the rest of the sites.
4: Very cool. Well, where's the best place for folks to uh, interact with you? If they, if they love today's story, where can they find more of your work and and interact with you?
3: Uh, Well, they, uh, for finding more of my work, uh, dot com. I've got everything listed on there Uh, for interacting. uh, I have a Facebook page. But I would say Twitter. Um, okay. Twitter.com slash Stuart Conover. I'm on there. I check it every day. Mm-hmm. Don't always write a lot to it outside of recent posts, but I I will always respond daily on there if something comes up.
4: Yeah, Twitter is really good for interaction. I think that uh, it's it's a great outlet. It's It's a way you can contact a lot of people, too, that normally you wouldn't have access to.
3: It is. It's actually... It helped me not only get my gig with Science Fiction dot com. That's my, you know one of my side jobs, but mm. because of it, I've been able to interview and request a review quite a few things that and quite a few people that I would not have had any idea how to get in touch with otherwise. You know, lots of comic book artists and writers, where even on their web there's no real contact me information, which is something that's I feel sorely missing on a lot of authors' websites.
4: Yeah. And that's worked out well for you, then, just to to reach out to the to those go those guys directly through uh, Twitter, huh?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's obviously you can't harass them nonstop, right? That's that's rude, but, uh, <laughs> right? You know, you, you get the equational. Hey, I write for so and so. I'd like to interview you about this, and mm-hmm. as long as your schedule is free and they're open to interviews or making a comment, they will respond. Yeah, I feel most a lot of creators try to be open to be able to talk to their audience and Twitter makes that happen. I mean, a lot of authors, you can't really, a lot of authors don't do it full time anymore. You Mm -hmm. can't schedule book tours if you have a new book out, right? Because you have to go to work on Monday. (laughs) Right.
4: Exactly. Well, I really appreciate you spending so much time talking to us. We'll make sure we get the links and everything in the show notes to everything that we talked about. So folks can find your work and interact with you and all that fun stuff.
3: Sounds good. I'm looking forward to hear the entire new season. So.
4: Yeah, me too. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. It's uh, we've got a few of the episodes already done. So.
3: That's awesome. Yeah, it's uh it's always nice when you can say I'm actually ahead of my set schedule. Because it seems so <laughs> rare these days. Uh, yes. any of us can, <laughs> can Absolutely. Thanks again for having me. It's uh it's been a blast. I look forward to hearing the story. And
2: uh, yeah.